you're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. A few weeks ago, my wife Kelly said to me, hey Doug, you remember a few weeks ago when I told you that you do this weird thing where you like put the butter on half a bagel and before you start buttering the other part, you take a bite of the first part you already buttered. And I said to her, honestly, I don't remember you telling me that. And I don't think I do that. And then she said, actually, you don't. She said, I, I was buttering my bagel this morning and I buttered half of it. And then I took a bite of it. And I was like, oh, that's me that does that, not Doug. And so I want you to think about those things in your life that you think others have a problem with and you blame on them when really it's you. And I want you to think about the fact that here in the book of Acts, there are some things that I know in my life have been jumping out like, oh, wow. I didn't realize I did that, or I didn't realize that was true of me, or I didn't realize that was something I needed to hear about. And I just want to say, as we go through the series, let's all be open to the Holy Spirit saying, okay, God, speak to me. Speak to me. Like, we all like to go, I hope my spouse hears that. I hope my kid hears that. I hope my friend hears that. I'm going to send this podcast out. And that's all great. But Holy Spirit, what are you wanting to say to me? And so as we continue our series here, let's go with that heart and that attitude. Um, I want to answer a few questions here today. And as I said in the first or second part of the series, that often we'll do a series and it will be about forgiveness or grace or, you know, sex or love or whatever it might be. And here in the book of Acts, we're just going through the book of Acts. So we're going where the verses take us. And that means that there are a lot of different application points. All right. And kind of the illustration I used is, you know, I'm going to throw a whole lot of shoes out into the crowd today. And if it fits, put it on. All right. And may they, not, they may not all be your size, but I think we can all leave here today wearing a shoe or two that apply to us specifically. So let me tell you a couple of the questions we're going to answer today. The first one is what's missing from the life of many Christians. Okay, we're going to explore that. And it's something that I think probably the majority of us today would say, yeah, I think that might be missing in my life. A second question, and this is huge. What good can come of the awful events I've experienced in life? We've all gone through some different stuff. Some of us may be more awful than others, and I think we tend to look at those as wasted things, as purposeless things. What can God do out of that? If anything, I think we often feel the awful events that we've been through in life further disqualify us from being used by God than anything else. And so we're going to explore that. Question three is kind of related. What great plan can God have for me, considering my disadvantages and setbacks? Like all those things that are negative about me, all those things that maybe I didn't even do, maybe things that just happened to me or things that are just true of me because of my upbringing or my heritage or maybe even including those failures, those things in my life that I've done. Number four, where do I find joy? You know, I think often we're looking for it in the vacation, the promotion, the success. And hey, those are all good things, but there is a joy that God gives in a very unique way. And lastly, how does the Holy Spirit want to work in my life? And you might be saying, Doug, uh, haven't we already asked that question a few times in this series? We have. And the reason we keep asking that question is because in the book of Acts, we keep seeing new ways the Holy Spirit wants to work in our life. And so I love that the Holy Spirit doesn't want to just do one thing or five things in our lives. Holy Spirit wants to do a lot of beautiful things in and through our lives. And so we're going to keep asking that question. Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in my life? And so that's where we'll be here today. And I want to say that as we're going through the services, I think there will be some more questions answered than just those. And again, if the shoe fits, go ahead and put it right on. Important stuff we're talking about, life-changing stuff, things that can weigh on us heavily. You know, again, I want to hit back on that idea that many of us in the room, because of our disadvantages or our own failures in life, feel like we're disqualified from God doing all that much with us. 
And I want us to see how untrue that is here today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, thank you for watching online or being here in the room with us. And you're going to see today everything I just listed along with the amazing love of God for you and his heart to have a relationship with you. So we're looking at the book of Acts, the acts or actions of the Holy Spirit and the apostles. And who wrote it? Yell it out. Okay, that was not really a yell, but okay, we'll give it to you. And we've been looking at four primary reasons he wrote it. He was talking history, theology, apologetics, and to be an example for us. And Joe did an awesome job last Sunday taking us through Acts 6 and 7 and the beginning of, of, of 8. And we're going to pick up in 8 here. And we saw last week the testimony of Stephen. Then we saw that he was martyred for his faith. And then we saw somebody named Saul begin to persecute the church. And that's right where we pick it up. And it says here in Acts 8 verse 4, those who had been scattered, everybody say scattered. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. I love that because I think if we think about, okay, we have this gathering here today. And imagine the authorities opened that door and said it's illegal to be a follower of Jesus here and scattered us. We would all think, oh no, everything's going to fall apart. What's incredible about this early church is when they, they were scattered, they kept preaching the word of God. They kept going. It was like the more persecution that came, the more bold they got. And I think a lot of us would, would think, okay, as persecution comes, as it becomes uncomfortable to be a follower of Jesus, we're going to run, we're going to hide, we're going to shut up, right? That's not what we see the early church do. We see them get all the more bold. So question number one, what's missing in many of our lives as Christians today? Boldness. boldness. And, and before I talk about boldness for a minute here, please let me qualify it. I am not saying be mean. Sometimes we think boldness means be mean. Sometimes we think boldness means be graceless. Sometimes we think boldness means say whatever we think. Anybody that got a grandpa says whatever they think. It's like, grandpa, back it on up. We don't need to hear that right now. I'm just being real. I'm just keeping it real. Please stop keeping it real, grandpa. All right. There's a difference between boldness and being graceless. And when we're bold, listen, we got to do it with love in our eyes. That's what Jesus was. When we're bold, we have to do it with grace and truth mingled together. And so what about this boldness? Oh, that we would be filled with the boldness of God in this time, to share our faith, to show people the truth, to be able to say even difficult things in a difficult time about what really leads to hope and life in Jesus, that we would become a bunch of people who are bold. Think about it. We experience a fraction of the persecution that the early church faced, but we share a fraction of our faith that they shared. How does that work out, right? And I think that, you know, growing up in America as a kid, you know, 40 years ago or whatever, like, you know, 40 years ago, 30 years ago as I was a teenager, there wasn't a lot of persecution, to be honest, as a Christian, you know. And we had to go on missions trip to get persecuted as, as Christians. You know, like I remember our church went to Jamaica, not Queens, the real one. And, and we were over there and we were doing a missions trip. And during the day, we would work out in the heat. It was like a trillion degrees out, no AC, none of the cars had AC, none of the places we went. Lori was on one of those trips. I'm remembering right now, maybe some other people. Uh, we grew up in the same church. And you, it was just so hot. And then at night, we would do these church services and tell people about Jesus, and it was so hot. And I remember one day we were leaving, and we, we, it was just like gross sweat, disgusting, and we were leaving to go to the next place. And my dad, who was one of the leaders on the trip, said, guys, amazing news. The next place we're staying has a pool. Remember the pool, Lori? And we were so excited about the pool until we got there, and this is what the pool looked like. That is a legitimately exactly what the pool. I ran out of the van and went to the side of the pool and was like, no, persecution, you know? Like, it wasn't even persecution when we thought it was persecution back in the day, right? But now, it's becoming a little more challenging to be a follower of Jesus. And somehow, as the early church was persecuted, 
their boldness only intensified. And we have to realize that we can be bold because of the one that we represent, you know? Like, don't just be bold because you're, you have boldness in you and you have some courage. No, we can be bold. Like, our boldness is linked to our great God. Because we have a great God, we can be really bold. A few weeks ago, I had to talk about some really countercultural stuff that was really challenging. But my conviction was that God will take those things and transform lives with those truths. And so I was able to be bold because I serve a great big God who can do impossible things and take countercultural things and reach people with them as opposed to push them away. And so we need to be a people that are saying, Holy Spirit, fill me with your boldness. Do you remember when Peter and John got arrested said, and then, and then were told, don't say anything else about this Jesus guy? They went back to the, the, the church, and what did they do? They prayed for two things, miracles and boldness. God, make us bold. If you're here today saying, that's me, man. I'm afraid to speak up at work, at school, in my neighborhood, in my family. I'm just afraid. Some of us, I think, some of the fear is I don't want to misrepresent God. But at the same time, we still got to get the message out, right? And so, oh God, give us great boldness. Question two, what good can come of the awful events I've experienced in my life? Again, if this shoe fits today, put it on. What, what good can come? I've experienced some horrible things. My, my body's been horrifically sick. I went through a divorce. I was rejected so many times in my life, I can't even tell you. I, uh, you know, my, uh, my upbringing, I didn't have, I, I grew up with horrific parents. I had great parents, but my dad just yesterday at the marriage conference and my mother-in-law yesterday at the marriage conference both shared about how they came from homes where they had either uh, abusive situations or absent parents. Or, and so that's my big thing. Like, like I, I experienced the loss of a loved one. I, I lost a child. I lost a, a spouse. I lost a parent. Like, like there's just so many awful events that we can all go through. And I think so often we think that these awful events and even injustice done against us makes us really unusable in the hands of God. And I just want to expose that lie for what it is today. Think about it. The early church being persecuted, beaten, imprisoned, and the murder of Stephen was all sin. It was all awful events and sinful things done against them, right? And yet God uses it so powerfully, even the scattering of the church, right? The, the scattering of the church was sin. It was against God, and yet at the same time, wasn't God using it? Because think about it. They went out, and they were scattered, and then everywhere they were scattered, they preached. And something funny happens when you preach, churches start. And so there was one kind of central location of the churches in Jerusalem in the first century, and now the persecution comes, and it scatters, and everyone's Per, uh, uh, preaching the word of God, and now churches are being planted in all these surrounding towns. Awful events leading to good for the people and good for the purposes of God in that time. But here was the key. The people had to choose to stay close to Jesus. See, that's where we often struggle. Awful event, disconnect from Jesus. Awful suffering, disconnect from Jesus. And listen, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to need some help working through the awful event that you've walked through. But will you continue to, instead of allowing persecution or just life's brokenness shut you down, actually embolden you and make you that much more useful in the Lord's hands? Romans 8, 28 says that all things work together for the good for those who love God. We love that passage, but we forget it's for those who love God, and it goes on even further, those called according to his purposes, Right? And so I have to choose in the middle of my awful events. I'm going to stay close to you, Lord. 
and I know you're going to use this for good. And these awful events don't disqualify me. In fact, they that much more qualify me to be used to reach people that are also broken, that are also hurting. So what good can come of those awful events? Man, in the hands of Jesus, it's endless what God can do. Some of you have been through some heartbreaking situations. I know a lot of you really, really well. And I know some of the horrible things that you've been through. And I would just say, as you stay near Jesus, watch how he will use the most broken things in your lives for your good and for his purposes. Question three kind of piggybacks off this. What great plan can God have for me considering my disadvantages and setback? Well, we're going to look at Philip. Everybody say Philip. This is going to be the next part of the story here as we go through Acts 8. And and Acts uh, 7, Joe told us last week who Philip was. He told us that he was one of those seven people that was chosen by the apostles to get the food out to the widows. Remember him talking about that last week? And so Philip now is a part of this scattered church, and so he's not giving food to the widows anymore. He's on to something else now because the church has been scattered, but he's chosen to stay close to Jesus and be used mightily. Look at what it says in Acts 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria. Everybody say Samaria. And proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said, for with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in that city. All right, one of the amazing things about this passage is that they listened to Philip at all. What do I mean by that? Everybody say Jesus. Okay, we like him, right? All right, we're good with him? All right, Jesus went and wanted to go to Samaria, the same place Philip is now. He sent Peter and John and the apostles ahead of him and said, hey, I want to go into Samaria and go tell them I'm coming. And guess what happened? The Samaritans told them, we don't want Jesus. How are you going to follow that up, right? If Jesus can't get into the city and preach, who's Philip to go preach? I'll tell you exactly who Philip is to go preach. But I want you to think about a part of the story, and and then I want you to save it. I want you to bookmark it. I want you to save it to your favorites and your brain for a minute, because we're going to pull it back up in just a minute. When Peter and John were leaving that city, they went back to Jesus and said, oh, Jesus, they don't want you in Samaria. Should we call down fire from heaven and judgment on them? And Jesus said, John, what the heck is wrong with you? Okay, I'm paraphrasing there, but that was the general sense. Like, what are you kidding me? Remember that. Save that to favorites, bookmark it, add it there on your toolbar in your brain there, and we're going to pull that back up in just a minute. But here is Philip welcomed in Samaria. Why is Philip welcomed in Samaria? Everybody say Hebraic. Everybody say Hellenistic. All right, these are the two types of Jews we have in the first century. The Hebraic Jews were the purebreds. They were through and through Jewish, right? The Hellenistic Jews were a mix of Jewish and Greek. And the Hebraic Jews hated the Hellenistic Jews because of it. They said, ah, those half-breeds, they would call them. Those half-breeds, they're not thoroughbreds, right? They're not purebred Israeli. They're those mixtures, and they hated them. When I was in elementary school, I used to get made fun of because I wasn't Italian enough for all my friends. All my friends' names ended, ended in a vowel, and I was the Swedish mutt Jansen, right? And I remember, man, just like they, they, they would, I mean, they were merciless, these little elementary school Italian kids, and they'd come for me. And that's why, to this day, I still say mozzarella and manicotti, just to, you know, ruffle feathers and stuff like that. I know some people leave the church now, but, but here are the Hebraic Jews hating the Hellenistic Jews because they weren't pure bread. Why would they listen to Philip, and they wouldn't listen to Jesus or Peter or John? Because Philip was a half-breed too. Disadvantage that God used mightily. Philip was a Hellenistic Jew. 
He'd been rejected by the Hebraic Jews. And so the Hellenistic Jews are going, we don't want to hear Jesus and Peter and John. We know what those Hebraic Jews are all about. Oh, but Philip's one of us. His disadvantages opened a door for God to use him mightily. Listen, what is your disadvantage? What's your issue? Background? Heritage? The house you were raised in? Decisions you've made? Struggles you've had? Temptations you've given into? Your story? What great plan can God have for me considering my disadvantages and setbacks? It's through the roof. You can reach people I can't reach. I can reach people you can't reach because of our disadvantages and the setbacks in our lives. He will use our backgrounds. He'll use our rejections. He'll use those places we've come from. Those of you in the room who are fatherless, he'll use that if you stay close to him. Motherless, parentless, come from really bad uh, stock, so to speak, right? Um, you grew up on that side of town. Uh, you grew up on the other side of town, and you had a lot of resources, and this side of town hated you. Like, you just don't know who God's going to connect you with and what he'll use it for, because here was God using Philip, this half-breed Hellenistic Jew, that no one else could get into this area but him because of those exact disadvantages. Not educated as some, not athletic as some, not funny as some, not musical as some, but God will use all of it. Listen, what have you failed at? Because God wants to take you to do two things with those failures. Number one, help others not also fall in the same way you've fallen. You can warn some people and say, hey, I've been there. It's not what it looks like. You know, it's fake. It's, it's plastic. It's not going to satisfy. It offers something big. The second thing you can do is you can help people recover in the same way that you've recovered. Spent time in addiction, warn some people from addiction, or help rescue some people out of addiction. Gone through divorce, you can help people maybe avoid that, or you can come alongside those that have been through it and walk with them and love on them. Wherever you are, whatever you've been, whatever you've been through, this is our amazing God. God has incredible plans, even with our disadvantages, our setbacks, our failures, those unjust things done to us, and those stupid mistakes we've made ourselves. What a great God, amen? What awesome things he does in our lives. And so we've seen so far this using of all of those setbacks and disadvantages and failures in Philip's life to reach others. Question four, where do I find joy? Where do I find it? Listen, I know a lot of us probably know the answer already, but isn't it funny we don't look there that often? Isn't that funny? Like It's like, I'm hungry. Where's the food? Oh, I know it's in the cabinet right there. I can go get it. But I don't look there that often. I'm looking everywhere else, right? I'm looking through the cabinets with the pots and the pans and all the, right? Why? Right? So where do I find joy? For some of you, this will be the first time you ever hear this. For some of you, it's the 10,000th time we've ever heard this. But could we look there? Right? Where do I find joy? We got to go back to verse 8. Remember, the Lord was moving mightily in the city through Philip. People were being healed. Uh, people were being set free from demonic power. Acts 8.8. 8. So there was great joy in that city. Why was there great joy in that city? Because they had a lot of fun stuff. They had a lot of toys. They had a lot of money. Took great vacations. No, because the Lord was working there. You want joy? Let's get where the Lord's working. Let's get near him. Let's pursue him. I'm just telling you, vacations and, and, and success and relationships, all that, wonderful, good gifts from God. But if you're banking on them from joy, for joy, we're in trouble. We've got to be near the Lord. We've got to be close to him. It says in Psalm 16, one of my favorite verses, that joy is by his side. Are you by his side? Am I by his side? Because if we're by his side, we will be joyful people. And so I love that Philip sees this. So, so far, I've thrown out a lot of shoes into the crowd, all right? We're going to keep going here. 
I've thrown some shoes out into the crowd today, and I hope you're starting to put them on if they apply. But we've gotten through our first four questions pretty quickly, and I want us to look at two really fascinating stories to help us ask, answer question number five. Our, our question number five today is, how does the Holy Spirit want to work in my life? How does he want to work? We've already seen some ways in Acts that he wants to work in our lives. But let's be challenged today by some really awesome things here in Acts 8, verse 9. Now for some time a man named Simon, say Simon, had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They didn't say this man had the power of God. They actually called him the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. So Simon was performing magic and it wasn't just like, hey, check out what's under my handkerchief here. I'm gonna make a bunny come out of a hat. He was doing like demonic, powerful things. Things that were blowing people's minds so much that they thought it was God. And let me just throw another shoe out into the crowd today and say, we have to be so careful what we open ourselves up to, everybody. Listen, if it's powerful, but it's not done in the name of Jesus, you don't want it. If it seems to be powerful, if it's advertising power, but it's not in the name of Jesus, you don't want it. You don't want a fortune teller. You don't want a Ouija board. You don't want a tarot card reading. You don't want it. Okay, because there is some power and there's some silliness, right? Some that pretends like how many phone calls are you going to make and how much are they going to rip you off on the phone before you start to realize that they don't actually know what they're talking about. But then there's some people that, wow, like that was crazy. Like Simon, the devil has some power, but don't be fooled by mysticism and all these other false things. If it's not done in the name of Jesus, you don't want it. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip... As he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Listen, I love this. Simon, everybody say Simon. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So Simon, the one who had power because of his demonic connection, saw something in Jesus so much greater. And if you're not a follower of Jesus here today, I would just love for you to look to Jesus and recognize something in him today so much greater, so much greater. Is there power in status and wealth and success? And is it, Yeah, there's some power there. But man, there's something so much greater in Jesus. If you've looked to things and you've gotten into some fortune-telling stuff, some mysticism, some occult stuff, some false religion stuff, man, is there some power there? There's some power, but man, there is something infinitely greater in Jesus. And Simon goes, oh, I went in on this Jesus stuff. I, I've seen power. This is a power that I haven't seen before. And he gets saved and gets baptized. And then it says this in verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. Remember, Peter and John tried to go to Samaria before they rejected them because they were Hebraic Jews. Philip goes as the Hellenistic half-breed Jew, and they accept him. And isn't it funny that now that Philip's done all the hard work, that Peter and John are like, hey, we'll go down to Samaria, right? You ever been that guy? You're in your backyard digging a trench for like a week, and the neighbor sticks his head over the fence when you got about a foot left to dig. He's like, hey, man, you need a hand? You're like, don't even try, bro. Like, you see me out here all week. And so now Philip's done the heavy lifting here in Samaria. And Peter and John are like, hey, we're in, right? No, they actually went to just see what the Lord was doing. It's incredibly powerful. And here is something. I'm telling you, 
If you've read the book of Acts before, you've read these verses. I have too. We've read these verses, and we've missed something so powerful that happens here. And it's going to make, it's going to mess with your theology a little bit, but we're going to work through it, okay? Here's what it says in Acts 15. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, ready? Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. Okay, so that messes with our theology a little bit, doesn't it? Because just a few weeks ago, we saw that the moment we put our trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into our life. These Christians had already done that and didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. So what's going on here? It says in verse 17, Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Why? Didn't those specific believers at that specific time not get the Holy Spirit like the rest of us do in the moment we put our trust in Jesus? It's what I call a beautiful exception. Everybody say beautiful exception. It's a great reminder that the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants to do, right? And so question five, how does the Holy Spirit want to work in my life? I want to say it this way. Don't box him in. Don't box him in. Now, we want everything to be in a biblical framework, but don't box him in. Because here's what happens. I think 99.9999% of followers of Jesus get the Holy Spirit the moment they put their trust in Jesus. But here we are with this 0.000001% of people that for some reason didn't get the Holy Spirit in that exact moment like the rest of us do. And there's a beautiful reason why. Remember, the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews had issues, right? And unfortunately, that even carried over into Christianity. So when the Hebraic Jews became Christians, they still thought the Hellenistic Jews couldn't be the real thing because they were these half-breeds, right? And so here comes Peter and John, and they are Hebraic Christians, and they come and lay their hands on the Hellenistic Christians, and the Holy Spirit comes. Why did the Holy Spirit wait to come in that moment on those people so that the Hebraic Christians called Peter and John the apostles could see the Hellenistic move of God was the real thing. Don't box the Holy Spirit in. Point nine, you know, 99.999% one way, but there's that 0.0001%, and in God's wisdom, the Holy Spirit's waiting back, going, all right, Peter and John are coming, and they're going to see that my move in this Hellenistic culture is as legit and real as the move that's been happening in these Hebraic Christians. It says in one commentary, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon these first Samaritans converts was proof of their equality with the Jerusalem believers, proof we might add to the Jerusalem apostles as well as to the Samaritans. How awesome is God? He can just move how he wants to move in a really important way. And remember, okay, go back to that toolbar in your head. Go back to your favorites on Instagram there, and we're going to pull back what we saw before. Remember, John wanted to call down fire on Samaria, right? I want to call down the fire of judgment on Samaria. Isn't it funny that John now called down a little bit of a different fire, didn't he? Fire of the Holy Spirit on the Samaritans. Here is God moving so mercifully through John now, God, we're going to take this city out. No, you're going to pray on them in just like a little bit that my Holy Spirit would fall on their lives. And I love that in the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is sometimes seen as a flame. And John's calling one down, one kind of fire down. Nope, you're going to call down a whole different fire on these people. And I, I just love that God changes us. I love that we're not who we used to be. I love that John didn't stay who he was, right? That 
you and I have a way of seeing over time what the Lord can do in our lives. Yesterday at the marriage conference, Pastor and Kathy told an incredibly powerful story about how God healed their marriage. My dad and Doreen shared stories of them both losing their spouses through, to cancer and then them coming together. It was incredibly powerful just talking about what God can do and the life change that he can bring. Uh, then I asked Pastor and Kathy and my dad and Doreen to just share would you talk, because they've all been in ministry for decades, would you talk about times when you've seen God just transform a marriage? And they gave, both gave these amazing testimonies, because we're not who we used to be. And some of you guys are saying, well, I am divorced, or I went through this horrible thing, and man, God is so able to meet us where we are and to bring help and hope right in the midst of it. And maybe it is your marriage, or maybe it's recovering from the loss of a marriage, or maybe it's an awful event you've been through. The Lord is so good, and the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. And I just want to ask you a few questions here, okay? Are you boxing the Holy Spirit in in any way? Again, it's got to all be done in a biblical framework. But are you shrinking back from what the Holy Spirit's wanting to do in your life? Have you pushed him away? Are you cold toward him? Do you love the Father and love Jesus a lot, but it's like you never even talk to the Holy Spirit? You never even ask for leading of the Holy Spirit. Man, he so wants to do new things in our life. Don't, let's not box him in, church. Let's not box him in. Let's allow him to continue to work in our lives. And we'll talk more specifically about what that continues to look like in this series. But Acts 8, verse 18, when Simon saw, and we get to an interesting part of the story here, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on who I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you. He was really seeker friendly there, Peter. Um, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. And I love what he, Peter says next here. He's not just casting Simon off like, you're done, bro, you're done. Look, repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. I love that there's this moment of, of Peter just still seeing, Simon, let, let, let's come on, man. Like that's some garbage in your heart, buddy. Let's deal with it right now, right? And maybe that's some of us here today. Maybe there's some stuff just kicking up in our heart. We need the Lord to just deal with it. But I I just also would just throw another shoe out into the crowd today and say, I think we have to be so careful that we're enamored with God and not just God's power, right? That's where Simon tripped up, that I actually want God and not just the power that he can produce. Verse 25, after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So before Peter and John go back, they're allowed to preach in these Samaritan villages. Amazing, isn't it? Because Philip broke through. God used this, this, the disadvantages and setbacks of Philip's life to reach this whole area. How does the Holy Spirit want to work in my life? Let's keep answering the question. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, so we're back on Philip. Say, Philip. Okay, I love this. You ready? Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way and he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the word I'm not going to try to say, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. How does the Holy Spirit want to work in your life? He wants to lead you specifically. Like, don't box him in, but the Holy Spirit wants to lead you really specifically. Like, literally, he told Philip, I want you to go down that road to that city, and I want you to go stand by that chariot. 
okay? Now, I don't know that I've ever gotten directions from the Lord that specific, all right? But I do believe, and we're going to talk a lot more about this next week, he wants to tell you what you're supposed to do with your life, who you're supposed to do it with, where you're supposed to live, and just a side note, it's not North Carolina anymore, so nobody move anymore, okay? So just a word of the Lord there today. Um, no, I just love all the people that we lost there, but um, we're going to start living where campus down there maybe, I don't know. So, but um, uh, he wants to be specific and direct you in your life. It goes on. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. Don't you wish your friends teed that up for you like this guy just did, right? You want to share your faith with somebody? It's like, man, I wish I could understand this, you know? I wish I could understand this Bible stuff. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's all about Jesus. Jesus led to the, like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent. Jesus was accused. He stayed quiet. He didn't defend himself. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Jesus, the perfect one, was killed, deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. He was killed, placed in the ground, but he rose back from the dead. And so here is this guy reading prophecy about Jesus. He's reading what Isaiah wrote 750 years earlier. And then he sets up Philip again. He says, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Does anybody here think that maybe God had an agenda with this guy sitting in this chariot that day? Does anybody think maybe Philip would have missed it had he not gone on that road in that city and stood by that chariot? How does the Lord want to lead you and I so specifically and so beautifully, strategically? Holy Spirit wants to communicate with us goes on. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And then Philip baptized him. And I love this next part. You ready? When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, gone. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azadus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. How does the Holy Spirit want to work in my life? Don't box him in. He wants to lead us, but he wants to work supernaturally. He has to. He has to show up and do impossible things. God moved Philip supernaturally from one place to another. Now, this has never happened to me. I've never been in my office up the street working on a message, and suddenly I'm in Chick-fil-A, like for God's glory, right? Like, never happened before. I wish it would. I hope it does this week, but never happened before. But man, there have been times when God put on my heart, hey, I want you to go pray for that person. Hey, I want you to uh, as I'm praying for them, say this. I, I feel, and I'm not like hearing a, a, a voice, an audible voice, but, but just that leading and prompting of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I love it when the person, after you've talked with them or prayed with them, look back and say, man, you must have like stolen my journal this week and read it because what you said was exactly what I needed to hear. And it's at that moment that I didn't, I informed them I did in fact steal and read their journal. No, no, it's, it's at that moment that I say, wow, that's so awesome. That's just the Lord working. It's just God showing up doing his thing supernaturally. Yesterday at the marriage conference, a couple was leaving, and they came over to me and said, Doug, we just want to let you know, every single time we step foot in these doors, it's like God has shown you guys exactly what we need, like exactly what we need to hear, what we need to see, and we just keep seeing God show up time and time and time again. And that's just him, and we're desperate for that. God help us if we ever come to a service or to a community group or a youth gathering or anything we do here and just coast. Just say, yeah, whatever, we're just going to sing a few songs, I'll say a few words. And, but that the Holy Spirit would lead us supernaturally and strategically.
What are we seeing here today? I've thrown about 100 shoes out into the crowd, but let's talk about the big ones. What's missing in the lives of many of us as Christians? Boldness. Oh, God, would you fill us with boldness? What good can come of the awful events I've experienced in my life, the ways we've been wrong, treated unfairly, violated, sinned against like the early church was? Man, the scattering of that church led to the advancement of the church in all new cities. Who knows how God will use for our good and his purposes what's ahead? What great plan can God have for me considering my disadvantages and setbacks? Well, like Philip, the rejected, half-breed, Hellenistic Jew, you might just be able to talk to some people I never could. And I can maybe talk to a few you couldn't because of where we've been. Want to talk with somebody who's been in the hospital for a long time? I'm your man, right? Want to talk to somebody who's made some bad choices as a teen? I'm your man. Want to talk to some people who have walked with their spouse through some difficult times? I'm your man. Maybe for you, it's you went through addiction. You went through a divorce. You made some really poor financial investment. Um, what's your disadvantage? You didn't have a dad that loved you, a mom that loved you. Like, what's, where'd you come from? Watch how the Lord uses it, just like Philip, to be the one that can speak right into those moments. You can rescue people out of those situations, and you can maybe protect them and prevent them in the first place. Where do I find joy? Well, the Lord was working in that city, and so the city was filled with joy. You want joy? Go to the cabinet with the Lord in it, right? Go to the cabinet. Not, there's not really a cabinet with the Lord in it, by the way. But go to the place that he is. There's joy by my side, Psalm 16, 11. Lastly, how does the Holy Spirit want to work in my life? Don't box him in. Let him lead you. He wants to lead you specifically and strategically. More on that next week. And he wants to work in your life supernaturally. Next week, the story continues. But can I just tell you, if we walk out of here believing what we just heard today, here's how we'll live this week. Bold, knowing God will bring good out of awful events, using even our disadvantages, setbacks, and failures as we're filled with his joy and the Holy Spirit leads us strategically and supernaturally. That sounds pretty good to me. In just a minute, we're going to open up the front again for prayer. And we're not doing that to be showy or to try to create something. Uh, we just really believe that what the Lord says is that his house will be called a house of prayer. We need a, a time where we can be praying for people in our services. And so during this fourth song, uh, we're going to invite you guys to stand and worship, but also anyone that has a need to come up to the front. And maybe it has exactly to do with what you heard today. Maybe you need to be filled with boldness. Maybe you just need the Lord to help you overcome some really awful events you've been through and use them for his good. Maybe you need him to empower you with your disadvantages. Maybe you need his joy, or maybe you need the Holy Spirit's empowerment and leading in your life. Or maybe you're sick. Maybe you love somebody who's struggling. Maybe you have a financial struggle, or you're just wrestling with anxiety or depression or whatever it might be. Just want to fill the front. We're going to have some prayer team members across the stage here on the floor and we'd love to pray with you. You can stay up here, just kind of worship, and we'll get to you when we get to you, and we'll just trust the Lord to show up. But, oh, church, let's keep learning from this Acts church so much, so much depth, so much beauty in what they are and the example they are to us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you heard today he loves you. His son died for you, and uh, he wants to just do such beautiful things in your life. So I hope you put your trust in him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that we get this beautiful gift of the Acts uh, the Acts Church, Lord, this, this book that is uh, changing us and challenging us and growing us, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you'll meet us, Lord. I thank you for the 101 shoes that we threw out into the crowd today and just pray that, Lord, we'll all leave wearing what we should, God, just knowing what you're trying to say to us specifically, God. And so meet us. Your word is powerful and it changes our lives. Let me just pray some general prayers. And, and don't tune me out. Would you stand now? Would you just stand up with me? And, and let's pray together. Ready? Let's pray with some expectation. 
God, for those of us that need boldness, would you fill us, Holy Spirit? Boldness, God, that we would not be afraid, that, that, that there would there'd be a switch that goes off by your Spirit in our lives that removes the fear that we have for standing up for you. And again, with love in our eyes, God. God, for those of us in the room who have gone through awful events, it's probably every one of us in one way or another. God, like the early church that was scattered, would you take those awful events and use them for our good and your purposes? God, for those of us who come from disadvantage, from failure, God, like Philip, would you lead us to the right crowd, the right people, those that will allow us in because of our disadvantage and because of our failures. God, those of us that just need the joy of the Spirit of God, it's in your presence. Refresh us with joy today. God, for all of us that need the leading of the Spirit, God, may we not box you in. Lord, may we be led by you strategically and may we be empowered by you supernaturally. Thank you, God. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him, would you pray with me now? Just say something like this. Jesus, thank you so much for dying in my place. Thank you for this gift of salvation that I get to receive from you. Jesus, show me how real you are, how much you love me. And lead me now. Fill me with your spirit. Do amazing things in your name.